Chapter Three of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Outlook. It often happens that what we cannot find in this world ready made to our needs, we proceed to manufacture. Mrs. Fenton, after diligent search, discovered that the little town of Centerville had neither part nor lot with this new and fascinating literary association. So, though it was new business to her, as soon as ever the midsummer canning and preserving were attended to, she set about bringing a circle into being. Casting about in her mind which way to venture first, shrinking from Mrs. Chester as one who would think she was trying to creep up out of her sphere, and heartily wishing that Miss Katie Wells were a resident instead of a visitor, she determined to call first on her pastor, the Reverend Mr. Williams. He was a literary man, he wrote very learned sermons that she did not understand, and read them carefully to his congregations. Surely he was the proper person to be interested in a literary society. Perhaps, if they could start one, and study diligently, after the lapse of years she might acquire learning enough to understand some of his sermons. Who knew? So behold her in his study, eagerly recounting what she knew and wished, after which listen to him. My dear Mrs. Fenton, I'm afraid you will be disappointed. This is not a literary community. You would find it hard to interest them in anything of the sort. Oh, I don't know, she answered, laughing. I am not in the least literary, and I am very much interested. It seems to me we have a good many young people who might be so much benefited. I was thinking of the ward boys as I came by. They seem to have so few friends and so few interests. No mother, you know. What if a society of that kind could get hold of them and help them? Wouldn't it be a good thing? Don't you think, Mr. Williams, they are in danger of being led into very great temptations? Mr. Williams smiled on her benevolently. My dear madame, I am afraid you do not realize that the list of lessons which you have read over to me would be like actual Greek to the ward boys. The course is really for scholars, and the ward boys belong to a class who have neglected what few advantages they had earlier in life, and must suffer the consequences. Then is there no help either for people who neglected their advantages, or for those who had none to neglect? Must they be content to be dunces? Well, not so bad as that, my friend, in tones exceedingly benevolent. Not so bad as that. There are comforts in life, even for those who do not understand Greek and Latin and the like. The truth is, there are two sides to this question. There is a mischievous side to it. I really think that to set young people at work over studies about which they know nothing, and about which they are destined to know nothing, will have a tendency to unfit them for the places which they are to occupy, arouse false ambitions, and encourage false hopes. That this was the baldest nonsense, little Mrs. Fenton felt in every nerve, but she did not know how to set about refuting it. She was no logician. However, after a moment's silence, she rallied sufficiently to say, "'Well, Mr. Williams, if James Ward were my son, I would run the risk of rousing false ambitions and encourage any sort of hopes that would keep him from hanging around the street corners smoking third-rate cigars.' Mr. Williams smiled good-naturedly. "'I appreciate your motives,' 
he said in his most patronizing tones, but, my good lady, I am really afraid that the ward boys are beyond the reach of any circle, save that in which they now move. The Sabbath school has failed to reach them, and I confess I have very little hope that any literary effort will accomplish it. Now Mrs. Fenton, who knew exactly how the ward boys had been managed in the Sabbath school, was by no means so hopeless of reaching them, but she did not know how to talk to Mr. Williams. "'Then you really are not in favour of having a Chautauqua circle here?' she asked him after a pause, in a disappointed tone. "'Why, my dear friend, I see no material out of which to construct one. You are an energetic lady, I am aware, but I hardly see how you can, of yourself, compose an entire circle, scientific or otherwise. Whom could you possibly secure to start the matter for you?' I did not know but you would head our list with your own name, sir. And now Mr. Williams's surprise can be better imagined than described. Well, really, he said, his whole corpulent little body shaking with laughter. At the risk of appearing very conceited, I shall have to remind you that I completed the circle of studies which you were so kind as to read over to me when I was about the age of your boy Robert or a trifle older. Mrs. Fenton's entire face was covered with a mortified glow. She was a courteous lady, having great respect for her pastor, and had meant no offence. The gentleman's manner had obliged her to think that his dignity had been offended. Besides, what was to be done with a man who believed the Chautauqua Literary and Scientific Circle to have chosen a course of studies so scholarly that it could reach none but scholars, and at the same time so juvenile that he was through with it at fourteen. Had Mr. Williams been other than her pastor, certain bright little sarcasms that fluttered through her brain would surely have found voice. As it was, she made haste to answer with blushes. I beg your pardon, I did not mean to intimate that you needed the study for your own benefit. I have heard that clergymen and professors and many eminent scholars take up this course for the sake of encouraging the young people. That is very laudable, certainly, Mr. Williams said, resuming his benevolent manner. That is, if they have time for such things. The truth is, my time is so fully occupied now with my own studies and my large congregation that I have no leisure left to devote to school-teaching, even if scholars could be found. From this interview Mrs. Fenton went home in haste, and ordered her house vigorously. She canned peaches and grapes, and made jelly, and cleaned her china closet, made a very black fruit-cake, and began a new set of shirts for her husband. Three bright long days did she give to intense physical labor, trying thus to shut out other aims. She worked laboriously, but while her hands were busy, so was her brain. She could not get away from her recent awakening. The circular of the Chautauqua Literary and Scientific Circle, and the private letter of instruction which had accompanied it, appeared to her as if by magic whenever she opened her drawer. Once she thrust them in desperation under a pile of unfrequently used clothing, at the very bottom of the drawer, but young Robert, in a spasm of frantic haste, sought a clean handkerchief, and tossed and tumbled everything into royal confusion, and behold, there was the CLSC circular, the topmost article in the mass. Besides, the said Robert, busy with his vacation pursuits, 
appealed to her constantly for sympathy as heretofore, keeping ever before her heart the possible desolation of years to come, when his pursuits should be entirely among the world of books, away from her. For young Robert was a born student. One sunny afternoon she pushed an unfinished shirt from her with the energy born of decision, and made known to the sewing-machine her determination. "'I just believe I'll try the butler girls. They have nothing of any consequence to do, and they are young, and energetic about some things. They were good scholars in school, I have heard.' Now I am really sorry that my usually quick-witted little woman made the blunder of going to people who had arrived at a grown-up age without finding anything of consequence to do, expecting to enlist their immediate interest in anything worth doing. But she did it. She mistook their position also. In their own estimation, they had work well worth doing. Miss Effie believed that to have a perfectly exquisite dress and ten button kids, and slippers of just the right size, and to go to Saratoga, or Newport, or Long Branch, or Niagara, or anywhere that there were hotels and hops, and dance nearly every set nearly every evening, and appear on the following mornings in bewitching costumes of white lawn and yellow lace, and take walks with unexceptionable partners down to the Congress, or the Columbia for a glass of water, or down to the beach for a view of the tide, or down to the falls for a dash of the spray, anywhere, these minor accessories were of the very smallest importance, so that the white lawns and the sun-hat and the partners were unexceptionable, was fear enough for any person. Between the dancing and the dressing, and the walking and the sleeping, to lounge on the bed with a copy of the latest novel, and read the sensation portions, this was Miss Effie's idea of existence. Between these periods of life, to shop and consult the dressmaker and the milliner, and to fashion new lace sets, was employment enough. Imagine Miss Effie getting through with forty minutes a day of Merivale's History of Rome. Miss Irene, the elder sister, was of a different stamp. To put it in simple language and small compass, she was a dauber, she sat for hours and hours and hours daubing away at a square of canvas, making square-looking cows and preposterous-looking people, and bluish-green foliage such as never grew, and hills in danger of toppling over and upsetting the cows. From Miss Irene's window, where she sat and daubed, with her mussy palette and her many-coloured fingers, there waved and glowed a picture of hill and vale, and gleaming water and shimmering sunshine, such as would have filled the heart of a real artist with great throbs of joy. I do not think Miss Irene ever spent fifteen minutes in studying the living picture. In truth, she thought it exceedingly commonplace, and would have judged a person queer who admired it. She presumed to sit there, so near to that wondrous painting, and daub her miserable caricatures of lake and sky. She puttered in pottery also, spending large sums on old grotesque-shaped jugs, spending hours on designs that made them more grotesque still. It was on such a couple that Mrs. Fenton called for sympathy and cooperation. Miss Irene was daubing, creating a stormy sky looking down on a peaceful sunny landscape. Why should not thunder and lightning and broad still sunlight appear on canvas together, if artists of Miss Irene's stamp chose to have it so? 
Miss Effie was lounging, novel in hand. "'I have heard of Chautauqua,' she confirmed. "'Katie Wells goes there every summer. She just raves over it. But I should think it would be decidedly slow. She says she never heard of a hop while she was there. They don't even have lawn dances or anything. Just go to meeting from morning until night.' I am sure I don't know what would tempt me to go to such a place. If they would have an artist's reunion there, I might be tempted, said Miss Irene, daubing away complacently, but I don't believe I care much for the other things. I should really enjoy meeting those who could sympathize with me in my profession. But I'm not talking about going to Chautauqua, explained Mrs. Fenton. I'm sure I haven't the faintest hope of ever going there. It is about the literary society that I want to talk to you girls. Come now, Effie, close your book entirely and sit up straight, and let us talk about it. I want you to get the others interested. We can have a real large society here if we set about it. I think literary societies are just horrid, exclaimed Miss Effie, rising on one elbow. We belonged to the Bronte Club once. We read Shakespeare and Milton and all those, the dullest evenings I ever spent in my life, perfectly dreadful. I used to say then that I'd never be such an idiot as to get caught in another literary society. Oh, well, explained Mrs. Fenton, these circles are different. It isn't just listening to one person reading something that you don't more than half understand. You have an opportunity to study the subject and find out all you can about it, and then get together and talk it up. Why, the members pledge themselves to give forty minutes a day to study. Oh, horrible, said Miss Effie, sinking back on her couch. You needn't talk any more to me, Mrs. Fenton. The idea of studying anything for forty minutes a day is not to be endured for one moment. If you had spent as many years in school as we have, you would know how perfectly insufferable any such notion must be. We really are not equal to it. You see, we have been through the mill. I haven't time for it, said Miss Irene serenely, as she daubed into existence a wicked-looking dog, with ears and tails such as were never seen on created dog since the world was. If I were not so absorbed with my painting, I might give it some attention, but this passion that I have for art consumes all the time I have. I'm sure I don't see why you would want to paint any more pictures, Miss Effie said discontentedly. Her sister's passion for art was as great a bore to her as was a literary society. Our house is just overrun with pictures. I was telling Mamma only yesterday that the parlors looked like an auctioneer's rooms, and she said she knew it. Besides, paints and frames and all that cost ruinously. I should think you could use your money to better advantage. I'll tell you what it is, Mrs. Fenton, her eyes brightening as she saw a chance to vindicate the literary tastes of the family. You ought to talk to Jack. He is at home, did you know it? Yes, he came last week. Jack is literary, you know. He'll appreciate your scheme. I mean to call him. Now Jack was twenty-three, and wore immaculate linen and gold eyeglasses, and carefully nurtured a mustache, and carried a cane, and had just graduated. Little Mrs. Fenton knew him well as a boy, but as a man and a graduate he quenched her. Oh, Chautauqua! 
he said, crossing one shining boot over the other, and looking down upon her from under his shining glasses, with an immensely superior air. I know all about that. It was a chimerical idea in the first place. You can't take people who have grown to be men and women, and make them over into scholars by a few hours of study. And as for the people rushing off there in the woods to spend their time, anybody who understands human nature might have known how that would end. American people rush into anything with enthusiasm, and rush out of it equally fast. It would do very well for once, something new, you know, but who, except a visionary person, would expect it to last? It happened that the bright-eyed woman who listened to this outburst of superior wisdom had not met Miss Katie Wells several times for nothing. She was thoroughly posted. "'But when are they going to begin to weary of this place?' she asked the oracle. "'The meetings have been held there for several years, and every year the crowds increase, and the same persons keep coming.' I should think it was time for a little reaction, if the idea is simply an excitement. Why, I am told that the numbers who gathered there last year were far in advance of any season yet. Oh, well, said young Jack, shifting his position uneasily, and putting the left shining boot over the right one. It was not so easy as he supposed to talk about a matter of which he knew almost nothing, provided the person addressed knew whereof she spoke. I suppose people enjoy the fun of going there. It is much cheaper than watering places generally, and a certain class like the sound of going to a literary gathering, even though they haven't two ideas in regard to literature or anything else. What I object to is this false idea that ignorant boors can buy a dozen books and read at them less than an hour a day, and then go through an examination farce, and graduate and receive a diploma, and all that nonsense. It lowers the standard, Mrs. Fenton, it really does. On the whole, it was a good thing for Mrs. Fenton that she had come in contact with this young man. The insignificant absorptions of the young ladies had disheartened her, but this moustached, bespectacled, embryo man, so wise, so vain of his diploma, so determined that no one else should secure one, inspired her with a determination to earn a diploma of some sort at the earliest opportunity. She was good-humoured. He did not irritate her. He seemed too young and too pedantic to waste ill-humour on. She laughed at his sneer as she said, I don't see why I shouldn't know as much as I can, even if I have no chance to reach the heights of wisdom that you college boys attain. As for the diploma, I suppose it is given only for the work that is actually done. I should like one. I mean to earn it if possible. What is the harm in learning all one can? Oh, there is no special harm, I suppose, if you really enjoy that sort of thing. But I can't quite understand the taste." why dear madame it isn't learning it is simply skimming superficial work you know the whole chautauqua scheme about which people talk so much is just as superficial as possible and really we scholars shrink from that sort of thing whereupon mrs fenton laughed again she couldn't help it not at his idea for the frank truth is she did not understand it she was not sufficiently skilled in the use of language to be absolutely sure what that word, superficial, that rolled so glibly and so frequently from this scholar's tongue, meant. 
of course she had a general idea of the use of the word but who knew whether this wise man could not trip her up on some of its finer shades of meaning she would not venture on doubtful ground but she could laugh she knew enough of books and of study to recognize the folly of the words we scholars from the lips of this fair-faced youth i don't know she said pleasantly i am not a scholar at all but i can't see any reason why i shouldn't try to know as much as i can then there came a new element into their conversation even a pale-faced quiet-voiced mother a mother of many cares and anxieties a woman who had come up from grinding poverty into comparative wealth without being able to lay aside the sense of care and perplexity that had been a constant accompaniment of her earlier life worried about her children she was too not that she was not proud of irene's paintings and jack's wisdom and effie's beauty but she was a mother who had wanted more for her children for herself the life she had led the burdens she had borne the perplexities that had swarmed around her would have been unendurable but for that other life hid with christ in god she had longed to see her children feel the power and yield to the spell of this inner life for years she had prayed daily for their conversion and as yet none of them had seemed to give the vital question a serious thought this mother who had slipped quietly in during the conversation listened to mrs fenton and the girls and jack getting thus bit by bit the history of chautauqua the story of the sewing girl who out of her limited time and meagre opportunities was getting so much and the habitual look of perplexity deepened on her face then as one suddenly resolved upon breaking the silence of years she dashed into the very heart of the subject but mrs fenton wouldn't you be afraid that anybody so eagerly interested as that sewing woman is would be tempted to neglect oh to neglect her sewing you mean interrupted mrs fenton a touch of impatience in her voice that is what mrs chester says but i am sure i don't see why because a woman is interested in study and willing to give her bits of leisure time to it she should at once be suspected of growing unprincipled and robbing her employer i wasn't thinking of that mrs butler said speaking meekly but i was wondering whether she wouldn't be tempted to neglect her bible and-well yes i will say it-and her praying it seems to me sometimes as though folks who got all buried up in an idea like irene here with her painting forgot all about the next world and about studying their bibles and praying a good deal and getting ready for the end of it all i was wondering whether this kind of study that uses up the little bits of time wouldn't be likely to be another thing in the way of their bibles and their prayers now to mrs fenton this argument was as a bombshell it vanquished her why because she had no personal knowledge no experience in the matter she could not explain oh no mrs butler the tendency of these earnest studies is not to draw the mind away from god but rather to strengthen faith by enlarging the circle of thought and absorbing though they may become they bear no comparison with that other higher absorption the union of the soul with christ if you allow them to press in between you and your best friend jesus and separate you it is your own foolish turning of a genuine help into a hindrance and not a necessity of the plan none of these things could mrs fenton say 
because, with all her unselfish love for her son, she had never given him that best earthly treasure, a mother's prayers. Wishing the best that even Christ could do for her boy, and heartily believing in Christ as the Saviour of the world, with strange inconsistency she had never asked him to be the Saviour, the friend, I, the elder brother of her boy. So she had no argument with which to meet Mrs. Butler's question, other than to say, why, I'm sure I don't see what the two things have to do with each other. I mean, I see no reason why a person couldn't be a member of a literary society and a Christian at the same time. And Irene, as she sat back to get a better view of the last splash of paint that she had transferred to canvas, said, Why, Ma, what a strange idea! People can't read their Bibles all the time. No, of course not, the mother answered hastily. I didn't mean anything. Then she heaved a disappointed sigh. The silence of years had been broken, and nothing accomplished. She had meant her oldest daughter's devotion to art, and her son's devotion to himself, and Effie's devotion to dress and dancing, as much and more than she meant the Chautauqua literary and scientific circle, and none of these had understood her. As for the son, he pushed his impertinent glasses higher on his nose, and tapped his boots with his tiny cane, and smiled down in conspicuous superiority on both these small, silly women, and believed as little in his mother's Bible as he did in Mrs. Fenton's literary aspirations. He had risen above both these follies. Oh, for a Katie Wells, with her warm heart's love anchored on the rock, and at the same time her enthusiastic love for study to have enlightened them all. As it was, Mrs. Fenton went slowly homeward, having food for thought. End of chapter 3